So who's familiar with the story of Mark Armitage? Raise your hand. Okay. Sweet, I got somebody. No, no. That's going to high-five you. Ugh. When I, when I went through this opening illustration, uh, I pretended my dog Augie raised his paw. And I'm like, oh, I see Augie is. So, uh, so I got one friend who's familiar with the story of Mark Armitage. Uh, Mr. Armitage recently made news in California because he was fired from the California State uh, University Northridge campus. Is this ringing any bells for anybody else? Like, anybody else get added? Ooh, sweet, I got another one. And that in my pretend run-through, Reese raised her hand the second time. So, so now I got two. Boy, this is going to go just like I rehearsed it. <laughs> Except for people instead of puppies. But uh, awesome. So two people. All right. Maybe if I told you why he was fired, maybe if I told you why Mark Armitage was fired, you would begin to figure out who he is. All right. So in early 2013, co-authors Mark Armitage and Kevin Anderson, and Kevin Anderson is a, is a uh, doctor at a university in Arkansas. He's a professor on staff there. Mark Armitage, I don't believe, has his doctor, just has his master's, and uh, he's in a just really lame kind of electron microscope field. You, know, you don't really have to know anything to be in that field. No, I'm just kidding. Like, two really good scientists here. They were published in a prestigious science journal known as, and you don't have to remember any of this, just get the, ba- the big point here, Actohistochemica. Actohistochemica is a journal of structural biochemistry of cells and tissues. Just, just roll with me. Don't have to remember it. It aims to provide a forum for the cytochemical and histochemical research community in the life sciences, including cell biology, biotechnology, neurobiology, immunobiology, pathology, pharmacology, botany, here's one you're going to recognize, botany, and zoology, there's another one, and environmental and toxicological research. Whew, that's a mouthful. This journal focuses on new developments in cytochemistry and histochemistry and their applications. All right, this is the part you need to remember. In other words, it is a really technical, peer-reviewed journal that holds to the highest standards of science practice. A peer-reviewed journal means that your peers in that field who are making their living as scientists or whatever journal, it kind of, I mean, you got medical peer-reviewed journals and all kinds, you, your peers decide whether or not your stuff gets published. You don't have to sell the editor. You have to sell other experts on that you are not full of hogwash. Amen? That's the whole point of that. Okay, very prestigious journal, very prestigious journal that they're in. And, and if you get published in a journal like this, you can be guaranteed that you are a top-notch scientist. Or if it's not a scientific journal, it's like a medical journal or if it's whatever, an expert in your field as recognized by other experts in your field. So, if Mark Armitage is an expert, recognized by his peer experts, and you guys got that from that, just raise your hands to show me you understand that this guy's an expert. Okay, this guy is really good at what he does. Armitage and Anderson's article is currently the most downloaded article from Acta Histochemica ever. 
And if you don't have the ability to do to access it through like a, a university library like I do, it costs $35.95 just for like the seven-page article. And it's the most downloaded ever in the history of the journal. It's a good article. But what is the article about? The article is about the... <laughs> Now I've got a fourth per- or third person who knows. And I don't have a third dog, so I'm not sure which one you are. So it's about the soft... The title is this. Soft sheets of fibrillar bone from a fossil of the superorbital horn of the dinosaur, Triceratops horridus. Just makes you scared, doesn't it? Triceratops horridus. You're like, ah! But anyways... <laughs> So, what this is about is really discovering soft tissue inside of a triceratops horn. But what is amazing, I'm asking you a question to think about this, wrestle with this. What is amazing with discovering soft tissue inside of a dinosaur fossil or inside of a dinosaur bone? What's amazing about that? In the words of Armitage and Anderson, this is quoted from the article directly. Yes, I've read the article from start to finish. I got, I understood like, you know, half. I, I get a lot of definitions from context, you know. But here's what's amazing in their own words. What is not clear is how such biofilm structures could themselves survive the ravages of time i.e. the supposed 60 millions of years it's been in the ground, as once produced, other microorganisms could begin to digest even these. In other words, in layman's terms, if the bone is as old as many paleontologists would like us to believe, then it should be one of two things. A, fully fossilized. Or B, decayed. 60 million years is plenty of time for the bacteria to eat away the soft material. Right? So it should either be fossilized or decayed. Armitage and Anderson anticipated that some scientists would argue that this was not, in fact, triceratops tissue. They would say, well, here's our explanation. It's not triceratops tissue. What they said scientists would argue was that the, the microorganisms that are in there over the 60 million years would begin to mimic triceratops tissue. Yeah, it's exactly what I thought. You guys are giggling. I'm thinking, lame, lame, lame. Right? We got to find a way to explain this away. It's not really triceratops tissue. No, no, no. The single-celled microorganisms got really smart and they learned how to be doppelgangers. Right? They learned how to they learned how to copy dinosaur tissue. Right? Come on. They anticipated this argument. They they said that microorganisms people would say that microorganisms mimic the cell structure of the triceratops over the years, basically making copycat cells that look dinosaur in origin but weren't. But here's another question. Why would they anticipate this argument? Here's why. The reason, and this is what may blow your mind. Now, I don't know. Jody seems to know a little bit about this, so she may not be surprised about what I'm getting ready to tell her. This is not the first article written about finding soft tissue in dinosaur bones. It's not the second article 
And by the way, every article, different bones. It's not the third article. It's not the fourth article. It is not the fifth article. It is the sixth article since 2005 that has been published in different scientific journals about different bones from different scientists who have found soft tissue inside of dinosaur bones. The first one was published by Dr. Mary Schweitzer who found intact bone marrow inside of a T-Rex femur. From that point on, evolutionists have been trying to explain away the tissue with fanciful explanations such as the one mimicked above about copycatting. Mary Schweitzer tried to explain it away by saying that there was this iron present inside the bone and the iron preserved it. I'm trying to think about the last time anybody put iron in anything as a preservative. We don't really do that much, right? But uh, anyhow, but sixth article about this. Armitage and Anderson both argued this, though, about these arguments that are against it. They said the most straightforward interpretation of the evidence is that the intact cells and tissues have uh, been preserved from a triceratops. That's the one that makes the most sense. Let's see. It's inside of a triceratops bone. It looks like triceratops tissue, only soft instead of fossilized and hard. Hmm. Doesn't take a PhD to figure out it's probably a triceratops, right? Walks like a duck. Looks like a duck. Quacks like a duck. It's a chicken. No, it's a duck. Right? Looks like Triceratops. Inside of a Triceratops horn. Must be a Triceratops is what they would argue. Okay? So how does Armitage explain the tissue? Simple. Armitage claims that this bone is probably no more than 4,000 years old when it was buried in the Hell Creek Formation in Montana during the great flood of Noah's time. The biblical worldview that this dinosaur was buried during the great flood of Noah and it's only 4, 000, about 4,000 years old and, and that's why it has soft tissue inside of it which it could survive that long with soft tissue because they have other stuff that they know is about 4,000 years old and it has some of this micro stuff inside of it, Right? They said, mm, the explanation is right there in the scriptures. And that is why California State University Northridge fired Dr. Armitage. Or he's not a doctor, I'm sorry, he's got his master's. Fired Mr. Armitage according to his lawyers and him. It had to do with his belief, his conviction that this came from a dinosaur that was buried during the great flood of Noah's time. Basically, Armitage was fired because he held to the biblical account of the history of creation. Now, when I ran this opening illustration by my wife and Augie and Reese, um, she said it sounded really great. But then she said she was super curious about how I was going to tie this into the Faith Hall of Fame from Hebrews chapter 11. 
right? And so that answer, that answer is actually quite simple. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. I'm lying. Verse 3. Don't listen to me when I... If it's on the screen today, it's right. Sometimes the typos are on the screen, but... Hebrews 11, verse 3. Here's the verse that we're going to be talking about today. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that everything that happens in this service today would glorify and honor you. Lord, it's kind of hard for us to see today how talking about dinosaurs might have anything to do with Christmas. But Lord, you knew when you led me to preach through Hebrews, here's where I would be today. Lord, you know that last week I tried to tack this verse into my sermon last week because I wanted to be on the next, the next two verses. But you said no. And so you knew we would be here today. And so I ask you to speak to your people. Guide us and direct us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. So as the author of Hebrews starts the Faith Hall of Fame, you, you hear the, the first of 19... 19. By the way, who read Hebrews 11 last week for their homework? Anybody did that? Okay. 19 times in that book or in that chapter, it says, by faith. 19. Now, we've talked about this while I've preached before. When an author is repeating words over and over and over again, they're usually pretty important. Amen? He repeats this or she repeats this 19. Times. This is the first of 19 times. However, there's a very interesting tidbit about this first time. 18 of the 19 times are about people who've gone on to be with the Lord. By faith, Cain and Abel. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Moses. It's about people who are no longer walking the earth. But this first time, friends, is about the author and his audience. Read it in your passage. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. That's very unique. That's very unique that the one that he starts this whole thing off by saying that that we understand something. And then it goes to pointing at, at the people of old and pointing to them and pointing to them and pointing to them. And we're going to talk about all that in the upcoming weeks. But this first one is about you and I. It's about what the author's saying is in the present, here and now. Now, i got to admit, while dinosaur bones were probably not first and foremost on the author's mind when he or she was writing, I do believe that it was on God's mind. God knew that in our day and age that the biblical account of creation would come under great attack. And He has let us know in Hebrews that what He has communicated in the first chapters of Genesis are not 
a fanciful story for unenlightened people. It is the real history of the creation of the world. However, some Christians argue that the biblical account of creation is not important to believe. Evolution, they say, is compatible with the faith. But friends, we can see plainly from the text that acceptance of the biblical account, creation account is a foundational piece of our faith. It starts off the Faith Hall of Fame, the first by faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. This is a, a, a critical piece of our faith. And it says it right there that it's critical. As he gets ready to start, or she gets ready to start the Faith Hall of Fame, the first thing is counted and said, You believe rightly that the God of all the universe spoke all of this into creation. It's the foundation for everything. Now I've got to admit two things. Number one, I believe in the biblical creation account. I believe in it. Have ever since I've been a Christian. God created everything in six literal 24-hour days. Anybody who is serious about the Hebrew language cannot argue against that. I've heard all the arguments. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. At best, that gets you 6,000 years, not 60 million. At best. Of course, that isn't God telling us how to tell time in his clock. That scripture about a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day is about when you're praying and you're asking him to do something and you think that he's slow. Well, don't count him as slow because he doesn't really keep track of stuff the way you and I do. He's not on our clock, we're on his. He wasn't telling us how to count the creation days. He was telling us that when we lose faith, trust him, he's going to show up. He's an on-time God. Can I get a witness? Amen. Okay, he's an on-time God, all right? Six literal 24-hour days. I've believed this for a very long time. Yes, what I am trying to tell you is that people and dinosaurs walked the earth together at the same time. (gasps) What? Now, I could give you tons and tons and tons of reasons for that, but... Your last day of homework for this week is on Saturday. It's out of the passage of Job. It's a passage out of Job where God says to Job, Consider Behemoth, who has a tail like a cedar and who eats grass. He goes through this whole entire thing. And some people say, Oh, yeah, I was talking about a hippopotamus. You guys ever seen a hippopotamus tail? It's little bitty. It is not like a cedar. People say, Well, why didn't he use the word dinosaur? I don't know because we made the word dinosaur up after the Bible was written. I believe he's describing something like a brontosaurus there. He describes this in such a way in Job that he assumes Job is familiar with it. He says, consider behemoth. Like, hey, you know, you've seen this. And he goes through the description. He's using the descriptions that Job is familiar with saying, think about all of this. I made that. I can give you lots of other reasons, like every culture on the face of the planet has dragon myths. Hmm. 
See, if I, I think that was probably the first word for dinosaur. Something like dragon. They saw these enormous lizards. Anyways, I digress. Yes, I'm telling you that, that people and dinosaurs walked the earth together. And I'm telling you that out of Genesis chapter 2, verses 19, Adam named every one of them. If he didn't, then it's a lie. Genesis is a lie. And we all just need to pack it up and go home. Now, here's the second thing I've got to admit. I, I've always believed that. Number two, even though I believed in the biblical creation account, and I've, per, and I've personally supported ministries like Answers in Genesis, I've not always seen how critical the need to take a major stand for that until I was preparing for this sermon. Now, I want you to understand something. And I'm going to mention this several times. Sometimes, I love Answers to Genesis. We were five-year Creation Museum members. I believe sometimes the way AIG, Answers in Genesis, and other groups handle some of their witnessing encounters, it actually turns people away from the Lord. Sometimes they get cocky and arrogant. And that's not good. Sometimes I get cocky and arrogant, and that's not good when I do it either. Okay? So I don't want you, if you're sitting here thinking, man, I've seen AIG do some things that sometimes are, are really harsh. I want you to understand something. One of the things that AIG did that was pretty harsh a few months ago, I wrote Answers in Genesis about and said, look, I lead a pa- I pastor a church that's about this size, and here's what's happening. When you do stuff like this, I want to take a step back from your guys' ministry because it's really harsh, it's really unloving, and it really makes me nervous about partnering. And they said... You're right. We're going to fix it. We didn't mean for it to come across that way, but other pastors have stood up and said this isn't good. What we're teaching is correct. How we approach that particular piece was rough, and we're going to back up and regroup. So I want to commend ministries like Answers in Genesis to you, but I want you to know that I know that sometimes they're a little rough with stuff. And if you just talk to a brother or sister in love, Matthew 18, 15 through 20, it's amazing what happens when you go to them and talk to them. Even somebody that's in a huge ministry like that, they listen. All right. So ministries specializing in creation and science have always had their role in the church. But I've now come to realize that they have a major role in evangelism as well. You know that I don't always support every methodology that they use, but I don't always support every methodology I use after I sit back and reevaluate and go, wow, that didn't work. Yeah. I mean, I support it at the time, then I go, eh, could have done that better. All right. But listen, they stand up for the biblical account of creation. And we have to stand up for the biblical account of creation. I want to link this back to Armitage finding this soft tissue, right? He is standing up for the biblical creation account and his voice at this point is trying, they're trying to silence it. Of course, he's the sixth published paper that was written to an academic rigor level that was so much that the other experts couldn't argue against it and they needed to publish it. How many, how many articles got written that didn't get published on similar finds that just weren't up to the academic level? Guys, if six made it in, I guarantee you there's a ton more. 
I'm working on my doctorate in leadership. Russell Heising is a, is a, used to be a pastor up in uh, Sagertown at Pleasant View Alliance Church. He's now working down at Tacoa Falls. He, he's a, got his doctorate in leadership. One of the things that he wrote on leadership talked about how when you go on and you search these databases, there's no academically written papers on these journals on leadership from a Christian perspective. But if you go into the Christian bookstore, there's hundreds and thousands of books on Christian leadership on the shelves. There's stuff being written just to get it in these journals that has to be written a certain way. And Russell was talking about how we need to do better as Christian scholars. Guys like Armitage and Anderson are to be applauded because they're doing what it takes to get that biblical worldview out there. They're standing up and they're saying, we're trying to explain all of this stuff to people. We're trying to, we're trying to meet them where they're at and show them these things. And it's important that we do it. God thinks it is important enough that, that this stuff is discovered that He is allowing paleontologists to dig it up. And the evidence is continuing to mount up that the biblical account of creation is true. And what we've done as a church, when we've done it our best, I'm not saying when we've done it as good as we could, we've done the best that we know how, we've taught our young people that are already in the church. I'm going to say something that's going to freak you out, some of you. I believe you need to teach your kids evolution. You need to teach it to them. You need to encourage your school to teach your kids evolution so that they know how to answer it with the truth. They need to hear the other side. Armitage knows the other side. And so he can now answer it intelligently. You need to teach it to him and then show him how to dismantle it. And the best Christian schools and curriculums on that do just that. We don't shy away from evolution. We come to understand what it is so that we can go and explain its flaws to people. And you say, why is this such a big deal to you, Pastor? Why do we need to do all of this as a form of evangelism? Because when you take those first chapters out of that first book, then the whole thing is built on a fairy tale. And how are they going to believe when they can't even believe about the things they can see when we tell them about the God who they can't see? It has to be built on this. We as a church need to come up with a strategy and a plan to not only teach church kids about this, but to get it out into the general public. This is because the enemy is working overtime to silence the voices. What does this have to do with Christmas? Not a ton. Except for the fact that everyone wants to say that Jesus is the reason for the season, and yet the book that we base His life on, that we base the truth on, is being discredited as a fairy tale. You want to know why nobody wants to stand up inside of the business that you're going to, or inside of our country, or anywhere that you're going to nowadays, and say that the Word of God is true? Because it is being discredited 
by people, some of which are very well-meaning. I don't think that every scientist who buys an evolution is evil. Some of you might, okay? There's a difference between being evil and mistaken, right? Evil means they're doing it with malicious intent. And there are certainly some folks out there doing it with malicious intent. I won't name them publicly. You come ask me in private, I'll tell you a couple. But most of them are just mistaken. Most of them are just mistaken. One of the biggest proponents of creation science is, um, well, I can't remember his last name now. Tommy, he came, he squoze the thing, remember? I can't remember his name now. We had an Answers in Genesis conference at Crossroads Fellowship when we planted that church. And Tommy, I can't remember his last name, he was a doctor, medical doctor, wonderful medical doctor, had to learn evolution very well to be able to get his medical license, right? And became a biblical creationist. Now travels all over the country teaching about biblical creation and was a very well-off doctor. Right? We have to come up with a strategy like this to get this stuff out there to people. This is because if God has shown that if a person rejects the true history of creation, that everything else in the Christian faith will be built on a foundation of doubt and mistrust. And it comes right out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. It is how the author of Hebrews starts the faith hall of fame, telling us how to go from this mustard seed of faith to a supersized faith. First of all, you got to believe the whole thing. Can you be mistaken about creation and end up in heaven? Yes. You don't have to be right about creation to end up in heaven. But I promise you this, it will hinder your witness. When people say, well, what about creation? You guys have this crazy account of creation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just all allegory. That's just all a story. God was just trying to help us to understand. So God didn't create man and woman in a special way. We were single-celled amoeba who eventually grew some legs and brought ourselves up out of the sludge, and we just, what, evolved far enough that God actually cared? And that's what evolution says, guys. It says that we were not specially created in the image of God. I mean, we need to understand what it means when we, when we embrace this stuff as believers. We're not in the image of God. We're not as image bearers. We were amoeba who eventually grew to multiple cell organisms who eventually got some legs and drug ourselves out of the pond. It says that our faith is built upon a lie. And I just got to be honest with you. If that story of creation is not the truth, I quit. But I've seen multiple evidences over and over and over again that tells me that I can trust the science that's in the Bible. One chapter, and I believe it's in Isaiah chapter 40 somewhere, it says that, that God sits enthroned on the Hebrew word chahug of the earth. Some translations, many translations translate that as he sits enthroned on the circle of the earth. The Hebrew word chahug actually means sphere. Hmm... Now, science of its time taught that the earth was flat. 
But Isaiah says it was a sphere. Hmm. Who's ever heard of oceanic currents where the creatures migrate along those oceanic currents? Anybody ever heard of that? The father of modern oceanography discovered those currents because one day in his devotional reading, he was reading in the Psalms where it said that everything moves along the pathways of the seas. And he said, there's pathways in the seas? I'm going to go find them. Pretty amazing, huh? You look at some of the laws in the in the Old Testament, like the the laws about washing and, and ceremonial uncleanness and what cleanness and what will defile you. And if you touch a dead body, you got you got to stay away from everybody for X amount of days, and you have to wash and all of this stuff. Do you know how modern surgical techniques discovered washing under running water and scrubbing up like that? Because they set back, there was a guy, I don't remember exactly what country it was in, he was watching, and there was this crazy mortality rate that was happening amongst these uh, mothers who had just delivered their babies. And he said, something's wrong. We've got to figure out what's wrong. And so he just sat back, didn't interfere, and just observed. And as he's watching, he's like, what is in common with all of these people that are dying? Sometimes different doctors, different nurses. All of a sudden, he goes, ding! the light comes on they're all going to the same basin of water and washing their hands in the still water that's in that basin he said there is something in that water we cannot see that is killing everybody of course if he'd have been reading leviticus they'd have known that every time that you touch blood and all that kind of stuff you wash your hands under and it says it running water Do you know what happens when you go in for surgery nowadays? The doctor washes his hands under running water. I mean, I could go through over and over and over and over and over again, just verse upon verse upon verse upon verse, where the Bible is right about science. And some people say, well, what if, the, what if we've discovered something in science and, and it isn't right? You know, when we discover it in science and, and, the world, and we've discovered that it's different. Oh, you mean like evolution? Just wait. The Bible will vindicate itself. Everybody said evolution was right. And now we're seeing the Bible's holding to the creation account. And hey, looky there. I'm telling you that if there's a disagreement between the scriptures and what modern science teaches, guess what wins? The scriptures. It's our understanding that is flawed, not God. God's not the one that's messed up. And you may say, well, this doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, Pastor. It has everything to do with Christmas. Because this is the foundation of our faith. This, in our statement of faith as a church, we say is the only rule of Christian faith and practice. And yet we just take out pieces that we don't believe. Now, I want to believe, and maybe wrongly, but I think that I'm correct, that everybody here, or at least the vast majority, believes in the biblical creation account. And that is great. But it is not enough. We have got to start teaching those in our community. We have got to make sure that stuff like this... You know, when you, got on, when you get on Facebook, and you get people posting stuff about... And this is serious. It's what's going around on Facebook right now. Whether or not Christians should celebrate Christmas or not. 
Oh, get over it. Don't, po- don't repost that garbage for either side of the argument. It's not helping anybody. Post stories like this that help people to see that God's word is the truth. Don't, don't post the ones where Christians are fighting with each other on how we practice our faith. It's not helpful. Amen? It hasn't helped any of your faith, has it? When people fight about how we do it? No, it's not helpful. Post stuff like this. Read an article if it's good. Share the link on Facebook. Listen, you say, what if I didn't find it on Facebook? Go up in the address bar. Copy it. Paste it into the status update. They'll be able to click it and check it out. I promise it will populate with a little picture down there. When you see those links that popped up there and you hit share and you've ever wondered, where did that link come from originally? Somebody took it out of the address bar and pasted it into the status update. That's how it got there. If you need further instruction on that, Pastor John will teach you. (laughs) Set up an appointment with him. Say, I need basic Facebook 101, right? And he'll do that. He lives to teach you how to operate Facebook. And he'll also teach you how to text at the same time. No, I'm just kidding. If we reject the biblical creation account, it puts everything in doubt. If God lied here, then he can lie anywhere. If he lied about the biblical creation account, then how do we know that it's true that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me? If he lied about the miraculous, supernatural, biblical creation account, then why is the supernatural, biblical incarnation and virgin birth not a lie? It all links up. I am telling you with God, it is an all or nothing proposition. Like I got one amen and a bunch of head nods, right? Listen, with God, it's all or nothing. He says, believe me and serve me all the way. He says, there are two choices here, a wide road that leads to destruction or a narrow road that leads to him. There is no third middle road that's kind of loosey-goosey and sloppy and you can kind of do it and eventually you'll dance on in there. No. Now listen, I'm not trying to take away grace. I'm not trying to say that you can't be wrong about something. I guarantee you, I guarantee there's something wrong with my theology. I don't know what it is or I'd fix it. But there's something wrong with it. I guarantee I don't have it all right. But I do believe this, and I believe it's core to the Christian faith. In the words of the old school preachers, you got to believe this thing from Genesis to maps. No, you don't have to believe the maps. (laughs) From the very first verse to the very last verse, our entire faith is built upon this thing being true. Now, some of you might struggle with that. If you do... If you struggle with that or you have a friend who struggles with it, here's what I will do. Tom may rant. I'm going to ask to be my partner in this because he likes doing this stuff. And so I know he's with the kids right now, Kath. You can share this with him. Tom or I will make sure that you do this. He loves giving out books. Tom and I, between the two of us, we will get at the church's expense 
a stack of More Than a Carpenter by uh, the McDowells. And you can come see Tom or I, because we like giving away stuff like this, and you can give that, you can read that, you can give it to a friend. If we give you a copy, you have to do something. When you're done reading it, you have to give it away to somebody. Amen? By the way, Josh McDowell, when he set out to write more than a carpenter, he was actually setting out, just like C.S. Lewis, to disprove Christianity and prove that the Bible is actually accurate. So if you doubt that you can trust the Scriptures, listen, there's tons of stuff out there proven. It is the most reliable document that we have from antiquity. That's ancient stuff. Nothing has been meticulously copied like the Bible. We have printing presses now, so, you know, Heidi wrote a new book, so I can get Heidi's book, and I can get a reasonable reasonable facsimile of the original. Reasonable facsimile. Like, I don't think you drew the pictures. So, reasonable facsimile. Like, the pictures, you know, were added by somebody else. But I can trust that the words that are there, probably what Heidi wrote after the editor said, you know, change a word or two here. I don't know, maybe she got it through the editor with no problems the first go. But, uh, and by the way, if you... I know I'm not trying to sell anything in church because I don't want Jesus to come in here and drive me out, but, you know, Heidi's got a good book. You ought to see her about it. So anyways, um, but I can do that because of the printing press, right? But before the printing press, they had to hand copy stuff. And there were crazy strict rules on copying the Scriptures. It's reliable. But I'll leave all that to, to Josh McDowell to explain to you. You come see Tom or I. You see Tom while I'm on vacation, and, and he'll handle it, and I'll take care of it when I get back, Kath. Um, so here's the whole deal. What do I want to do? I want a twofold application from today's message. Number one, if you are struggling in your own life with believing the creation account, I want you to realize that the author of Hebrews says it is, it is a foundational piece of our faith. Now, I know it's all built on Jesus. I mean, I got it. But guys, who do you think God was, the Father was talking to when he said, let us make man? He was talking to the Son and the Holy Spirit. The triune God was talking to the triune God. Jesus was there. It tells us in the scriptures that by and through Jesus, everything was created. It's a foundational piece of our faith. So I want you to, I want you to come to a place where you can believe that. And if you've got honest questions about that, come talk to me. Come talk to Tom. Come talk to, to uh, John. Come talk to Heidi. Come talk to different ones who believe this stuff, who have their heart into this stuff. And we will sit down and try to address those honest questions. If you want to fight, go talk to Brian Schreffler. Because he's not going to listen. He'll just be like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Right, Brian, you can do that if they want to fight. So if they come to you, no, we send them to you because they just wanted to argue. And you just, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. And if they keep it up, you stick your daughter on them. No, just kidding. So, but no, seriously, come talk to us. We want to answer honest questions. It's okay to question honestly. It's not okay to just start a fight over something. But if you have honest struggles, come and talk about it. And then the second thing. I want us to begin to pray together as a church what we are going to do as a church to teach this in our community. What are we going to do? Maybe we host an Answers in Genesis conference. 
And by the way, that's a God-sized goal because, you know, that costs money and we'd have to figure out how to make all of that work and different things like that. Maybe uh, we're looking right now at partnering this summer with Cornerstone Bible Church for VBS going under their leadership. Maybe as we share with them, maybe we could say, hey, what about using some of these creation things for VBS to, as the kids come in? You know, different things like that. Right? I want us to begin to pray. How can we tell this to the, to the nations? Because here's the bottom line, guys. It's not enough for you and I to believe it. We sing a song that Bonnie really loves. I want to be salt and light. How are we going to be salt and light if we don't go tell them? Amen? So here's your homework for the week as you wrestle with this. Monday, Genesis 1, 1 through 13. Tuesday, Genesis 1, 14 through 23. Wednesday, Genesis 1, 24 through 31. Thursday, Genesis 2, 1 through 9. Friday, Genesis 2, 10 through 24. The creation account. This is what I'm asking you to believe. If you read this and, and struggle with this and have honest questions about it, I will make the time to talk with you. John will make the time to talk with you. Others will make the time to talk with you. We'll put resources in your hand and we will not judge you, nor will we cast you out of the church if you are struggling with believing this. Because if we can't question and we can't struggle here, then where can we? Right? So it's going to be safe to question and struggle. And then Saturday, Job 40, verses 15 through 24. This is that one little part I told you about behemoth, which I believe is a brontosaurus or some dinosaur very similar to it. And if we believe this, I want you to begin to pray, God, how can we get this into our community at large? They don't want to say Merry Christmas. They don't want to say Jesus is the reason for the season. They don't want to acknowledge God. They don't want to do any of that stuff. Because they don't believe the Word of God. And I'm not saying they're evil. I'm saying they're uninformed. And we who believe have to come up with a strategy to tell them. We who believe have to come up with a way to take it to them that makes sense. It's our job to partner with God in this endeavor. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that you are an awesome and a holy God. We thank you that even dinosaurs can point to Jesus' supernatural birth. We thank you that the dinosaurs and the truth about them is foundational to our faith and and it attests to the fact of the resurrection power that Christ was raised from the dead because you've been in the business of the supernatural since day one. And we thank you for that. And we ask you, Grow our faith and help us to witness to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.